Take your Bibles and turn to Luke chapter 11. We're not going to preach from Luke, but I'm going to read one verse. Luke chapter 11 and verse 17. Luke 11, 17. And while you're looking, I'll share a little story I thought was kind of cute. A woman went to court and told the judge she wanted a divorce. Do you have any grounds, the judge asked? Just two acres, she said. That's not it, lady. I meant, do you have a grudge? No, we parked the car in front of the house. The judge was frustrated. Does your husband beat you up? No, I get up before he does. She said, when we, he says, fine. I said, well, why do you want a divorce? She said, we just have trouble communicating. Lloyd told me one. Lloyd's not here, I don't think, today, but he told me one I thought's cute. He said this couple, older couple, oh, back there, Lloyd, okay. This older couple uh, built a, a room under their house, and they wanted to, and they decided, let's just knock a hole in the wall and get started. So they knocked a hole in the wall, and there was a room already there all furnished, and they really forgot they'd lived in a duplex. <laughs> <laughs> Can you imagine the people next door? I don't <laughs> Let's stand and read one verse. Your tradition is to stand on the reading. I try to honor that. <clears throat> but he, knowing their thoughts, said unto them, Every kingdom divided against itself is brought to desolation, and a house divided against a house falleth. Let's pray. God bless us. Lord, we thank you for the thrill of being in your house today. The time we've already enjoyed in prayer and song and special music, giving, all those things are a big part of worship. And now we turn to you, Lord, and say we want you to speak to us from your word. And Lord, I'm only a vessel. This is all about you and your son, Jesus, and us glorifying him and what he's done on Calvary. Speak to hearts through your word as we take a look in your book for a walk in this world. Bless now in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you. You may be seated. We're going to look at 1 Corinthians. 1 Corinthians. Our text will be chapter 3. We're going to start out in the end of chapter 2. There's a monastery in Germany in a place called Biebenhausen where two pairs of deer horns are interlocked. And these deer, uh, these buck, they, they, the buck gotten into a, you know, a a fight and they never could get their antlers unlocked. I'm sure you've seen footage of that before happening and they died. And someone said it'd be great to get a pair of those kind of antlers that are locked together and put them in the lobby of every church and even every home. Because we know that the deer died because they could not stop fighting. And that's what kills churches. Now, right now, I think this church has great unity, better unity than I've ever known at this church at the two and a half years I was here before and the four or five months I've been here now, great unity. We love each other. We've got a great deacon board, a great youth guy uh, and music guy. He does a great job trying to handle both those things. And we just have sweet people. I just uh, enjoy the unity we've had. But the devil's going to rear his ugly head and do something. He's always scheming and plotting. And we know that, so we have to be on guard. So we're going to look at a church that had problems with carnality, the Corinthian church. I have preached at churches with the title, the, the Church of Corinth or Corinth Baptist. And I've preached at churches I thought they should change their name to Corinth Baptist. Because this is the worst of all the churches in Scripture as far as their behavior. 
In fact, they had so much sin, they, they couldn't even take the Lord's Supper without getting drunk. They had heresy, chapter 11 tells us. They had false doctrine. They had, they had the division, as 1 Corinthians 11 tells us. This chapter also tells us that. They had incest, immorality. They had it all. And, uh, and yet, somehow, God used people in this church and at times blessed this church. Uh, yet, he had to write this stern letter. And this is the most neglected letter in churches today. Churches don't want to deal with sin in their church because they're afraid it'll hurt the church. Uh, I know in my neighborhood, there's a lady that sings in the choir at a Baptist church, and she lives with her boyfriend. That, the Bible calls, fornication. And we know there's immorality. We know there's extortion. There's Christians suing each other in all kinds of things that Corinthians says, shame on you. And so we're going to look at this church today. Corinth, I think you've seen some slides during the announcements maybe. Corinth, the capital city of Achaia, was located on an important trade route from east to west. And this was one of the wealthiest cities because of that trade route in, in, in the entire uh, Asian area. It, uh, Asia Minor, I should say. This is an important church because of its geographical location. It was one of the largest cities in the Roman Empire. And we know that it was also the richest city in the world at the time Paul wrote. So think about that. However, it was one of the world's most wicked cities. The temple of Aphrodite, the goddess of love and beauty, was there. And they had a thousand prostitutes working at that temple to bring honor and glory to the God of love and beauty. Think of that. The city was so dangerous that Rome would not allow her soldiers to go there during leave. Of course, they were there on guard, but they weren't allowed to go there recreationally. Paul had been in uh, Corinth on his second missionary journey, and he had spent some time with Aquila and Priscilla, wonderful people, and spent a year and a half there, starting this church. According to Acts chapter 18, Paul started this church, and Paul knew of her problems. He had received correspondence from Chloe, Fortunus, and others, and so he wrote this forcible letter dealing with practical and doctrinal matters, a very serious uh, portion of scripture. Pick up in chapter 2 and verse 14. First of all, we look at the natural man. The natural man. It says here in verse 14, but the natural man receiveth not the things of the Spirit of God for their foolishness unto him. Neither can he know them because neither can they know he know them because they are spiritually discerned. So first of all, we look at the natural man. We know him as the lost man. Uh, the Bible calls him dead. Ephesians said you are dead in your trespasses and sins. So the natural man was dead, and that's the lost man. Unfortunately, a lot of Christians act like the natural man, even though the Lord lives in them. Second of all, notice verses 15 and 16. But he that is spiritual judgeth all things, yet he himself is judged of no man. So here's the spiritual man. The word spiritual means someone controlled by the Holy Spirit. We talked about that a while back on a Sunday night, we talked about when you're spiritual, you can restore people, you can confront people, but don't do it unless you're spiritual, meaning controlled. A very small percentage of Christians are spiritual. Let me say that again. A very small percentage of Christians are spiritual. Sad to say, I don't know in this church who's not and who is, but I'm here to tell you that a very small percentage of people live and walk in the Spirit. If we all did... 
and we all lived according to God's leadership in our lives, we would be seeing more people saved. We'd see more unity. We'd see more giving. We'd see more outreach. You would just see this church just go boom because God would just bless it so much. And I'm not here to judge as to who is and who isn't, but the spiritual man, while the natural man is dead, the spiritual man is delightful. He's delightful. It's the psalmist said, Blessed is the man who walketh not in the counsel of the ungodly. And it goes on to say, But his delight is in the law of the world, law of the Lord. Law of the Lord. His delight is in the law of the Lord. He's a delightful man because the Spirit not only lives in him, but the Spirit controls him. And he submits to the Spirit's leadership in his life. And that's the key. It's a moment-by-moment decisionary process that we, we, to live in the Spirit, we have to make decisions moment-by-moment. Everything we say and everything we do matters. The, the little things we say, the little things we do are important. And notice the mind of the Lord here. Uh, who hath known, the, verse 16, the mind of the Lord, that he may instruct him. But we have the mind of Christ. So Paul says we... He and the church leaders evidently were spirit-led. We, we, we certainly assume Paul was as we read about his life. Spirit-led. We had the mind of the Lord. You know, I just there's a false teaching out there, and the teaching is that when you accept Jesus, then you have to wait for the Holy Spirit to come. And the evidence of that is speaking in tongues. My Bible doesn't teach me that. The evidence of the Spirit's power is you shall be witnesses when the Spirit has come upon you, Acts 1.8. But the Bible says in John 1.12, but as many as received him, to them gave he power to be the sons of God, even to them that believe in his name. And Galatians 4.6 says, and because ye are God's children, because you are sons of God, he has sent the spirit into your hearts. You didn't have a choice in the matter. When you received Jesus, God sent the spirit at the same time into your hearts. And he's never going to leave you nor forsake you. But we have to yield to him. So here we have the natural man, the dead man, the spiritual man, the delightful man, and the carnal man. And we would say about the carnal man, he is defeated. He is defeated. Look at chapter 1. And I, brethren, could not speak unto you as unto spiritual, but as unto carnal. The word carnal comes from a Greek word that is translated flesh all through your New Testament. Fleshly or flesh. It means the old nature rules your day. Not the spirit, but the old fleshly nature. I prayed yesterday, God, forgive me for, I've been eating sweets like crazy lately. I stopped the dollar store. I only spend $2, but guess what it's on? $2 items that I can eat, junk food. And there's nothing wrong with that, but I've been doing it consistently. And I said, yesterday we laid in bed and I had terrible, terrible indigestion. Sometimes I get that acid reflex when you lay there and you have heartburn and it's part of getting old, I guess. But, and I said, oh, God, help me to stop eating spicy things late at night and eating junk food. That's a little example of one of my many struggles in sin. I use that a lot so you can identify with the fact that I'm also a normal person that sometimes is fleshly and carnal. And I know that, that it's a daily moment-by-moment moment battle with me. But I, I, too, could be carnal. You can be carnal. We know that this is fleshly. The flesh likes to do everything wrong. The spirit wants to do everything right. Anytime your flesh desires something, watch out, because <laughs> usually it's wrong. All right? When your flesh says, I'm going to get even. 
when your flesh says, I I'm going to lust. It's all part of the sinful nature. In fact, the works of the flesh, I'm deviating from my plan here this morning, but go to Galatians chapter uh, 5, and we look at the works of the flesh. Galatians 5. We'll go back to Corinthians. You can stay there if you want. I'm just going to read you Galatians 5. Years ago, I had a lady say, oh, brother. She said, I struggle with the demon of anger. And I said, ma'am, that's not a demon. Folks, we battle with the world, the flesh, and the devil. The world tries to draw us in. If you get victory over the world, you still have the flesh you're battling with. And if you get victory over the flesh, the devil is going to do battle with you. But most people, the devil doesn't need to fool with because their flesh is taking care of that for the devil. The works of the flesh are these. Now, the works of the flesh, verse 19, are manifest. They're clearly seen. Which are these? Adultery, fornication, uncleanliness, lasciviousness, which is all lustful pleasure, idolatry, loving things ahead of God, witchcraft, hatred, variance. Variance is, is, just means to fight. Emulations has to do with jealousy. Wrath, that's anger in action. Strife, seditions. Seditions is complaining. Did you know that? That's a work of the flesh. Could preach that in every Baptist church every Sunday, right? Because we complain. I mean, it's, it's like the grouchy guy that went and got eggs, and he said, I want two eggs. I want one fried and one scrambled. And they brought him his eggs, knowing he's a difficult man to please. Set the eggs down, he was still complaining. He said, what's wrong? He said, you fried the wrong one. <laughs> you know, if we have that negative, critical spirit, we, that's, that's a hyperbole, I understand, but we also act like that in a lot of things. We want to find something to complain about because it satisfies the old nature, you know? Uh, rather than complain, we should pray. So notice the works of the flesh. He goes on to say, envies. He says, murders, drunkenness, revelings, wild parties, and the such like. He says, he, he, those are the works of the flesh. Listen, listen. And we want to talk, we want the preacher to talk about the drunkenness and the idolatry and the adultery. But when it talks about jealousy and, and envy and, and, you know, uh, the other things we mentioned, uh, complaining, then we don't want him to preach that. Let's always preach about the people out there rather than preach to the people in here. You love me and I love you, so I never need to say anything about our sins. Let's keep it all secret. We'll wear our mask, not, not just these, wherever it is, my mask, but put on our hypocritical faces and act like we live perfect lives. That's just the lie of the devil. You know, we all struggle every day. And if you can't admit that, you, you have an ego. And we talked about pride last week. Someone said, your ego is not your amigo. Your ego is not your friend, folks. It's your enemy. It lies to you all the time. It says everything's fine with you. The problem's with him or with her. You know, and we have to get beyond that. So the carnal man, the defeated man, he lives a fleshly life. Back to our text. You know, this is someone who's governed by human nature, not the Spirit of God. It's someone who's beastly, who's fleshly. Who, who uh, Romans says a carnal mind is an enmity of God, is an enemy of God. When your mind is carnal, you're at a, in a battle with God. If anyone walks in the Spirit, he or she will not fulfill the works of the flesh. Get that? That's a promise from Scripture. 
If you walk in the Spirit or live in the Spirit, you'll not fulfill the works of the flesh. And we all battle with that. And when you don't admit that, it's not only you're proud, but you're narcissistic. That's a new big word means hypocritical. You know, we, we can really act like we're so pious and so righteous like the Pharisees. But guess what? You can hide your sin from others, but you can't hide anything from God. And you will reap what you sow, and God will humble you and expose you at some point in your life. And that's a scary thought. Now, here's what he says. You're carnal, even babes, even unto babes in Christ. Look at Hebrews Hebrews chapter 5. You're carnal, you're like babies. You ever heard someone say he's a big baby or she's a big baby? You know, just because we've been saved a long time doesn't mean we're walking in the Spirit. We could be saved, I've been saved since I was 12. That, that's a lot, a lot of years. I, I was tempted to lie about the amount of years it is. But twice, 52 years. But there's times I can be a big baby. When I'm not in the Word, I'm kind of forced to be in the Word as a pastor. But uh, when I'm not in my Word, devotionally speaking, I have to have devotions every day as well, because that's the personal time God speaks to me. And when I'm not doing the right thing, living and walking right, you know, I'm a baby. And here we find in Hebrews 5, 11 to 14, he says this, of whom we have many things to say and hard to be uttered, seeing ye are dull of hearing. For when the time ye ought to be teachers, ye have need that one teach you again, which be the first principles of the oracles of God, and are become such as ye have need of milk and not of strong meat. For everyone that is, is for everyone that useful that useth milk is unskillful in the word of righteousness, for he is a babe. The word babe, the English word we all understand. We talk about someone being a baby. We're usually referring to a little kid that can't walk and can't talk. Babies can't walk and can't talk. And it's, you know, a helpless little guy or girl, a little infant that we have to give milk to and change their diapers. Unfortunately, sometimes people have to be treated like that as adults. Well, well, he didn't even shake my hand, the Kingsman song says. You know, or uh, I'm upset because I wasn't recognized in church today. Or that pew I paid for and other people are sitting in it. You know, you're a baby if you live like that and think like that. But the actual Greek word here means one who can't speak. That's the actual word. So it's more of a specific word in the Greek language. And, you know, if, if you're immature, no matter how long you've been saved, you can be immature. And, and I don't know anyone here that is immature. I'm just starting to get to know you a little bit. So I can preach this and no one feel I'm picking on them, you know. I know everybody here is being so wonderful and kind. And I, and I appreciate you so much, but I'm sure we all struggle. So here he talks about babies. Back to our text, he's, Paul says, I fed you with milk and not with meat. For hitherto you were not able to bear it, neither yet are you able. I mean, Paul knew the Corinthians. And he got right out. He wrote a letter and said, you're not able to handle the meat. You're immature people. That's boldness. To say that, it had to be difficult for Paul. He loved these people, but he had to say it, and I'm glad he did. Verse 3. For ye are yet, what? Fle carnal, fleshly. And he goes on to just tell them why. 
Whereas there is among you envy, envying, and strife, and divisions, are you not carnal and walk as men? The phrase walk as men refers to the natural man. Sometimes Christians walk just like the world, just like the natural man, just like the sinful man. We live just like them. We don't separate and come out from among them. We act like they do and we live like they do. But notice here, it tells us the envying, which refers to the thoughts, the strife, which refers to words or actions, and the division, which refers to the results. Notice the root problem here. I mentioned this weeks ago when we preached about um, uh, Joseph, how his brothers were envious of him. Envy is a big problem in the church. It's a big problem in the home. All sibling, sibling rivalries, excuse me, all sibling rivalry, rivalries are caused by envy. Start with the very first one, Cain and Abel. Abel made this sacrifice and he didn't put much work into it. He just brought a lamb. Cain went out and picked all these fruits and vegetables and assembled this big, uh, you know, offering to the Lord, worked very hard. Abel didn't hardly do anything. And God respected Abel's offering and not Cain's. Why? Because Abel's was a type, wasn't it? The Lamb of God. And Cain's was a type of those who worked their way. Remember, God had taught Adam and Eve about sacrificial animals. He clothed them in skins of righteousness, didn't he? They knew about the importance of blood atonement. So Abel offers the right sacrifice. Cain doesn't. And God blesses Abel and Cain's angry. And clearly the text teaches us that he was envious of his brother. There's so much envy in the church, in homes, at work. Well, I got a promotion and I didn't. I've been here longer than them and I do more work than they do. That's envy. And what does envy lead to? It leads to strife. The words and the actions which are harmful. Envious people can be so mean. I've, as a pastor, I've seen it so much in the church. There's been times I would hug a person in the church, walk to the other side of church, and someone would say, I saw you hug them over there. You're on their side. That's actually happened to me. That's sad, but that's called envy. And I've had to deal with my kids. Well, you went to more of his ball. Hold on a minute. Let's not go there. And I remind them of things. I try to be even, Stephen. You just can't do that with your kids. You know, uh, and, you know, I could go to my son's baseball game and fall asleep. And he'd look up there after getting hit, and there I am snoozing. But in basketball, you know, so, you know, it can cause envy. It, that's, that's an illustration that didn't actually cause envy. But I'm just giving you an example of what could cause envy. But we see it all the time. Well, he makes more money than I do. She has, she's prettier. She has more clothing, you know. Uh, I actually have black hair. I actually dye it gray to make myself look older. <laughs> and you know that's a lie. You know, Brother Frank talked about gray hair. You know, I, mine's not just turning gray, it's turning loose. And, and you know, it's just... You look in the mirror, and, ugh, you know, everything sags. You look at your knees, your knees are sagging. Everything sags, and you think, I hate getting old. But the other side of that is I love getting old. I don't want to live life again. I want to go be with Jesus. <laughs> I want the rapture to take place. When you're young, boy, you look forward, and you can't wait, and you get older, and slow down. And, and, and then more people are in heaven, and more of your friends and loved ones are up there, and you start to think, 
I can't wait to get up there. I, I can't wait to see Jesus. I can't wait to see mom and dad. And it's part of the aging process is to just realize that we're just fleshly and we're old. And I got way off the subject, but look at, look at here. Verse 3 again. The, the, the result of the envy is the actions. The result is the division, the cracks in the church, the cracks in the home, the cracks at work. You start to have division. You start to have division. And, you know, we walk as the natural man. I like this little poem. I, it's a sad poem. If the battle is over, the strife is done, the church is split, which side won? Nobody wins in a church split. To people who go to another church, they don't win. The people who stay don't win. Now, I don't know about a split on the horizon here, but I know the devil's always lurking and trying to start trouble. We need to be on guard and be aware. Look at verse 4, and this is fascinating to me. I was talking to a pastor recently about a problem not related to this church, and he said, well, I'm on so-and-so's side. And I thought, he needs to read this verse. Look what Paul says. Now, Paul is inspired here. It means God breathed on him and told him to write this. He says here, For while one saith, I am of Paul, and another, I am of Apollos, are you not what? Carnal, fleshly, fleshly. I, I, I said I love Bryce. I have a good relationship with him. But if we had a fight, you don't side with me, you don't side with him. You side with Jesus. Amen. And you go to both of us and say, you guys need to reconcile. You know, because we hear one side of a story, we take sides. There's always two sides. And when there's division, both sides are sinning. Because the bigger Christian takes the high road and says, I'm sorry, will you forgive me? Let's end this squabble. And if neither are willing to do that, they're proud, and ego is not their amigo. <laughs> so you see, Paul says, don't say you're on my side. Don't say you're on the side of Apollos. Now, Apollos was a Greek. We know that by his name. And Paul was a Jew. They're both in the church of Corinth. They're both Roman citizens under Roman oppression, both in the church of Corinth. One's a Jew and one's a Gentile. And obviously, Paul respected Apollos, but he said, if we have division, don't take sides with either one of us. I want to side with Jesus. And if I side with Jesus, I'm always going to be sweet and kind towards anybody and everybody in my life. And I'm not going to side with someone. I'm going to say, you two. This has happened in churches. I know of a lady that grabbed two people in a church in Michigan that I was a member of. Two people were always at odds. She finally grabbed one's arm in the lobby of the church and went and pulled her and pulled the other one's arm and they went in the office and said, now you two got to settle this thing. I like that. Boldness. But it had to be settled. Didn't embarrass them. Found a way to do it. It was shocking. <laughs> when someone comes in and says, well, I don't like Bryce and what I'm going with the youth and I don't him, just say, let's pray for Bryce right now. God bless Bryce and the youth program. You see, we can nip it in the bud. 
And when the devil rears his head up in this church, we need to do the right thing and be spiritual and not carnal. And I know I'm long-winded almost already this morning, but verse 5, Paul says, Who then is Paul and who is Apollos but ministers? This is a word, dikonos. It is translated deacon in 1 Timothy. What are deacons? Servants. The apostles said, you guys take care of the money and you take care of the women. Today we've made that umbrella pretty large. Under the money we put the buildings and the buses and the pay scales and the, all that. And under the women, the, the, it was the widows actually. We add all the elderly and the benevolent situation. So they do a lot of service in the church. And we have some hardworking people here. Appreciate that. But Paul says we're also servants. Now, Paul at this time could have said, I'm a bishop, I'm an overseer, because that's what their bishop means. It's our word episkopos, we get episcopal from, it means overseer. Spiritually, Paul and Apollos were overseers, but what does he call himself here in the text? In this text, he says, don't side with either, either of us, we're just simply, what? Servants. Look at Matthew 22, 13, where it's translated servants. I always do this at least once. So you can identify with the way words are translated in so many different ways. But in Matthew 22, 13, the same Greek word here is translated servants. And uh, obviously, I think I have the wrong verse written down. Um, no, it's right. Then said the king to the servants. There it is. So did you know that your pastor, while an overseer spiritually, he's not over the money, in charge of the building. Years ago, we were building a new building in Okinawa, and a big church building. And um, one of the deacons sat in the meeting and said, let's make our pastor in charge of the building of this building. I said, what are you talking about? I didn't say it like that. I don't know anything about building. We had an architect on our deacon board. I said, that guy, put him over the building. Pastors shouldn't be over everything in the church. All right, pastors aren't in control of the money. Did you know that? The building doesn't belong to the pastor. It's God's building. It's not anyone's, but God's. But sometimes the pastor's in charge. The pastor's in charge. The pastor's in charge. And he micromanages everything. He kills all the entrepreneurship in the church. No. We're, I have to be a servant. And do you know I have to submit to other people in the church? Did you know that? I submit to other people. I'm not in charge uh, of all the activities in all the departments of the church. When I come in Sunday school, I sit back there and I listen to the teacher. If the teacher says, you know, let's pray, I pray. If you just pay attention, I pay attention. If the lady's in charge of the kitchen, I don't go back in the kitchen and start cooking the barbecue. That lady may say, Pastor, could you please leave? And I'd have to say, yes, ma'am. She's in charge of the kitchen. See, we get the idea that we're big shots. <laughs> we're not, none of us are. You're not in charge and I'm not in charge. God's in charge. And here, here Paul says, don't side with either one of us. We're just servants. We're just servants. I like that. I don't like being a servant. But I have to be one. I have to be one. 
Notice verse 5. Who then is Paul and who is Apollos but ministers? By whom you believe, even as the Lord gave to every man. You know, here's the thing. I have planted, Apollos watered, but what? God gave the increase. God does the real work. Years ago, a lady went to her pastor and said, Pastor, this church isn't growing and it's your fault. And the pastor respectfully shared his opinion with her. But here's what I would say. A pastor, if he's a humble, loving shepherd, leads by example. If he's not doing that, then we could say his leadership is faltering. But Ephesians 4 says the pastor is to teach and feed the sheep and the people are to do the work of the ministry. Did you know that? Churches grow because people are doing the work of the ministry. We are supposed to plant seeds. The Bible says some plant seeds. The seed of the gospel needs to be planted in this community. Some come along and water the seed. Some even get to pick the fruit. It's not in this text, but I thank God when I can pick the fruit because some other people have planted and watered. But guess who gives the increase? God. God. And when this church grows or if God decides to put his hand on this church, it's going to go boom. And we're going to say, wow, new families are coming in. People are going to say, what's going on here? It's not the preacher. It's not the youth leader. It's not the song music or the song leader or the music. It's God. We have to plant and we have to water. We may get to pick the fruit, but growth is from God. And when the church grows, give him the glory. There's even a false church growth, Matthew talks about, where the church can fill up with lousy people. The fowls will come into the branches and fill the tree. So not all church growth is of God. The devil also will grow a church so he can destroy it. But we know in God's saving people and godly people are joining the church, we just have to say, thank you, God. Now we pick up in verse 6 and we mention here the garden of God. We had the mind of God in chapter 2. Here we have the garden of God. Here's the word planted and watered here in verse 6. But God, Mark that, gave the increase. So here's the garden. So neither, isn't this great? So neither is he that planteth anything, neither is he that watereth. We're nothing. I pass out tracks, you pass out tracks. That makes you nothing except obedient. You water the, the, the soil, you, you bring the cookies to the neighbor who's just moved in, or the guy who broke his leg, you come along and cut his grass, that's wonderful, you're watering that seed, you give out Bible, that's all wonderful, but we're nothing. M.R. Gahan said zero plus zero still equals zero. God gives the increase, and we trust God here at this church to give us the increase, and the word increase here is translated growth in Matthew chapter 6 where it says, consider the lilies of the field. They don't toil, that means labor, but they grow. They increase. Look at verse 8. So he that planteth and he that watereth are one, and every man shall receive his own reward according to his own labor. Did you know there's a beam of seat judgment? We often forget that. We talk about the great white throne for sinners and we forget there's a beamer seat for believers. And we will all appear before the Lord Jesus. 
to give an account for the work we've done. In some cases, we'll have to give up or lose our rewards because we did things with the wrong motive. People are watching. I'm going to be real good today. You're the wrong motive. I want to impress people. And some will receive rewards. There's at least five crowns mentioned in the Bible. And I, and I believe that we'll just turn them all over to Jesus. But we're going to stand and give an account for what we've done. Thank God we're saved. We're not going to be cast into hell. But I believe it's going to be a difficult time as we give an account. The Bema Seat of Christ. We can read about that. The word Bema means judgment. And so we're laborers. Notice verse 9. We are laborers together. Mark that. We're one. We're one. We need each other. As you know, this church can't, can't be a great church without depending on the vital members. We need each other. We need everyone. Did you know you're needed here and you're wanted here? We're laborers together. And we know, he says, you are God's husbandry. Verse 9, there's a garden. Then he says, you're God's building. And we're going to close here with this. You are God's building. Verse 9, the last part. So we're not only that we, we're the mind of God, we're the, we're the garden of God, we're also the building of God. And that word husbandry, we know it relates to the garden. But the word building refers to the building. As I already said, look at chapter 14, verse 26, same, same book. 1426. And here the word is translated for us. It's translated in chapter 14, verse 26. It's translated, if I find the right verse, it's translated edifying. And um, the last line, let all things be done unto edifying. He's talking about church gifts there. The word edifying is the same word building. Do you know that when you edify one another, you build one another? When you edify one another, you build the church. Peter says we're all lively stones, part of the church building. Edifying is so important in church. Frank edified Mike today for the fact that he contributes and he's faithful. And I try to edify, I try to edify Bryce today. And we should all build one another up. Edify one another. Build each other. Uh, you know, did you, did you appreciate Ed's little missionary thing? Edify Ed. Do you appreciate Mike back there who puts all the videos online? Thank you, Mike. Great job. See? Joy playing. And we could, the thing when you start naming people, you can never really stop because you've got to say nursery. You've got to say, we have to stop somewhere. But edify. Edify the people who do the things behind the scenes. Tell them you appreciate them. That's how we build one another. That's how we do our part in building the church. But God gives the increase. So here we have this divided church. And we know that it's caused by envy. That's something, isn't it? I love this line. No man is a complete failure until he begins disliking people who succeed. No one's a complete failure until they begin disliking people who succeed. And then you become a failure. Verse 13, we drop down. It's not part of our text, but we know that uh, in verse 13, it says this. Every man's work should be made manifest. Wow. 
He's talking to Christians. For the day should declare it because it shall be revealed by fire and the fire shall try every man's work of what sort it is. And so he says, the passage says, we need to learn how to build rather than just to build. Let every man take heed how he buildeth. I was reading a devotional book and I marked on a little thing on my desk to remind myself. How we do God's work is more important than what we do. You know, we're so busy doing, doing, doing. What we do is not as important as how we do it. If we hurt people and offend people and accomplish in our task, we've done it all wrong. It's how we do the work of God. Do it in humility. Do it in the Spirit's leadership. And God just blesses that and blesses that. Folks, the works of the flesh are clearly listed. We struggle with it. The only way to get victory is to confess it. Admit it. Ask God to forgive you and to cleanse you and do this every day. Every morning I wake up, I look in the mirror and see that old flesh. And I need help moment by moment every day to deal with old Dan. Because old Dan will be there until God changes this old body. New Dan's inside saying, don't do that. Do the right thing. But old Dan just wants to do wrong so many times. And I have to constantly bring my body, the Bible says, into subjection to God. So I don't say the wrong thing. So I don't do the wrong thing. So I don't think the wrong thing. We are a Bible. Ye are epistle known and read of all men. We're not written on tables of stone with ink, but with the Spirit of God in our heart. If we want to reach this community, we have to be real. We have to be spirit-controlled. We have to recognize our sin and our weakness and ask God to forgive us and bless us and every morning to be renewed, as the psalmist said. Let's pray. God, thank you for your word. I don't know the hearts here, God, you do. If there's anyone here who's not saved, I pray they come forward. If there's anyone here who says, I just want to come forward and ask God to help me with my daily battle with the flesh, I need help, please come and pray. Maybe you need to apologize to a neighbor or a friend or somebody you've been rude to. Just come today and say, God, give me an opportunity to wait on you and wait for an opportunity, God, in my life to make it right with my next door neighbor. Bless now. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.